Happy Easter and welcome to episode 44 of Oscar Sunday. I'm Austin Johnson. I'm Connor Azagari. The 93rd Academy Awards are now three weeks away, my friend. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, last week, you and I, for quite a, quite a while, quite a big part of the show, we talked about, you know, the Best Picture nominees for, for you know, I, I, I think we both kind of came to an agreement on a lot of them and someone we came to a disagreement. I, I love that. I love that about that group. And this week, I kind of wanted to tag off of that, you know, bounce yeah. off of that idea. Uh, I want to bring up the the director race and kind of kind of get your thoughts on where you're at. Obviously, we've seen a good chunk of these movies. I still haven't got to the father because I don't think it's it's out yet to rent. Uh, but I, I will do that as soon as I can. Ninety um, third Academy Awards, man. Are, are you getting excited? Oh, I'm. It's all I'm thinking about. I am super <laughs> excited. I mean, we've already carved out a day of Oscars where we're just gonna like fucking enjoy it. <laughs> yeah yeah you and i are planning for sneak preview uh well we'll have a really fun oscar sunday show on the day of the oscars we're gonna do a really fun exercise that day but the next day on sneak preview you and i are going to be able to do a you know a sort of live recap of of the 93rd academy awards oh yeah and you know being on this 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 you know the weird 2020 2021 journey you you know, you watched a lot of movies streaming and kind of just fi- find them in different places. But this 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 best best director group, I, I personally like love. <laughs> um, I think all five have something extremely interesting to offer. Uh, so we'll, we'll start with uh, we have Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. We got Thomas Vinterberg for Another Round. We got David Fincher for Mank. We got Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman and Lee Isaac Chung for Minari. Uh, let's start with Chloe Zhao. Where, where do you see her in this race right now? I think she's the obvious front runner. I mean, she's mm-hmm, taken mm-hmm. home every award for this movie. Uh, I don't, you know, if she doesn't win the, the uh, Oscar, I think that'll be the upset. Uh, and what she did with Nomadland, you know, creating a, a film that feels like a documentary, but isn't, and just utilizing cinematography and production design and just, non-actors in a very unique way i i don't i have no problem with her taking this home she's she's done the work for sure yeah agreed i think the main thing that you and i took away from this movie was her was her 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 skill behind the camera and her just fucking the control that she has and it makes you very curious about what's going to happen with, you know, her Marvel stuff, you know, and it makes you curious about what else is going to happen with, you know, the rest of her directing career. Uh, Big time movie, Nomadland, of course. Uh, You're you're still predicting it to win Best Picture, yes? Um, If they're going to play it safe, yes. Uh, But honestly, everything is so, all the films are so good, all the performances, all the directors. I really think this Oscars could be, incredibly unpredictable and like bouncy i'm excited a little bit like last year yeah right you know yeah. th- we had we had some shoe-ins where we knew kind of all year we knew brad pitt was gonna win you know uh pretty much the entire time we had a pretty we had a pretty solid idea renee zellweger was gonna was gonna do some damage you know we, we knew a lot of these things but we did not know Parasite was going to win four, you know, massive awards, right? So, <laughs> but the coolest thing also about this Oscars is we don't really have a lot of front runners for the acting awards. Everyone's, not at all. It's kind of anyone's game this time. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. I don't think, I don't think there's anyone here who's kind of like head and shoulders above. I I don't even know who I would choose if there is a front runner for any of these groups. Uh, (laughs) They're all, they're all very fascinating, very competitive. Uh, I I agree with you. I think Chloe Zhao is definitely who I'm predicting to win the award. Uh, I'm, I don't know if I'm polling for anyone in this group, but I'd be very happy for her, you know, if she got the dub. I'm, I'm pulling for someone and I'm, we'll get to them. Yeah. 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 I think I have an idea. Uh, my, my favorite nomination is, is Thomas Venterberg, right. You know, for another round, this the really, really cool shout out. It's his first nomination, you know, as a director, uh, this, this, you know, Danish movie, another round Mads Mikkelsen just is providing, well, you know, he kind of reminds you over and over like, Oh yeah, he's one of like the best living actors right now, like in his prime. Oh yeah, he does that. He does that time and time again. And when someone does that over and over, you just kind of have to, kind of have to confront it and realize. And that that's what happened with this movie for me. I, am just kind of you know all you know awestruck by another round, and I can't wait to do an episode based based on it <laughs> for for this show. I, I think it's yeah, I think it's superb, and I really wish it was in that best picture group. Yeah, I haven't watched it yet because I am holding out for the inevitable episode. It's coming. It's coming. Yeah, yeah, it, it'll it'll be, it'll be here before we know it. Uh, that's definitely the one I have circled, you know, for 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 this award, even before the awards even happen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't really care about the uh, end result when it comes to doing these shows. You know, one of my favorite episodes we've ever done is Boogie Nights, and that was nominated for three things but didn't win anything. Yeah, you know we've done episodes on stuff that has gotten little up fight club. You know, we, we got to do an episode on that and it was an absolute blast ob- you know, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what we like to do with the show. It doesn't really matter the amount of nominations, as long as you got that one <laughs> gold is gold. That's yeah. 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 And Thomas Vinterberg being in this group, this is massive for his career. Uh, I hope, I hope it wakes people up. You know, I think the hunt in another round is about as strong of a, double feature you can get from any director yeah very nice yeah i have some homework to do for sure yeah yeah what's funny about for like you and i and this show is i think he's more up your speed and your alley than than mine and i'm just a (laughs) kind of i'm just kind of obsessed with especially another round i'm really into so i i'm just kind of shocked that you didn't not shocked but when you find it you're gonna be like holy hell (laughs) yeah you know and it's it's there and i i think i texted you when i was watching it and i was like holy shit sissy strut is playing like i mean they're shouting out an awesome song but also like jackie brown (laughs) (laughs) and one of my favorite 90s movies and yeah very very cool stuff I, i can't wait for you to see it but this next one here's a guy who seemingly you know, can't can't get that Oscar win for best director. Can't even get nominated when he's supposed to be nominated. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's that's David Fincher for for Mank. Uh, seems like the Oscars kind of pick the movies that I like less. Until yeah. now, I, I until now, you know, uh, I'm I'm really into this movie and I, I'm really excited to rewatch it. I think it'd be a great episode too uh, for this show. Uh, I could see him winning this award, right? You know, you know, of course the movie is a sort of about the you know movie world and there's 
there's like Oscar gold literally in the frame at the end of the movie. Uh, <laughs> and I, I think there's something to, you know, to, to that, to that specific thing is when someone kind of writes a love letter to Hollywood or to the Oscars or to movie making itself, whether it be, you know, positive or negative, yeah. they, they, they just like that movie people just like that. You know, you look at once upon a time in Hollywood last year, you had a, a, a lot of people all of a sudden kind of, Oh, what's Tarantino doing over here? This isn't, this isn't kill bill, you know, kill bill bastards and Django. This is like, well, what's going on here? You know, this is totally a love letter to the late sixties era of Hollywood. And I, I, f- I feel a similar way about Mank. you know, about how, people are kind of obsessed with movies and in the movie industry can probably find a specific, you know, thing in this movie that they love. And then, and there's fan, you know, I'm just a huge, huge, huge Fincher fan. And I, I think he was just kind of on top of his game uh, throughout this movie. So I would love for him to win, but I, I don't see it happening. The thing with Mank that I think is going to hold it back is that to me, it's not a love letter. It's hate mail. Yeah, no, it is. It's negative. It's negative. Yeah. It really doesn't paint. 40s Hollywood in the best light. Uh, no, and Hollywood is not one to let a beef be squashed. So which, I don't know which, if- which fair enough, right? Yeah. To paint to paint <laughs> to paint the 1940s Hollywood in a bad light. That's fair. <laughs> it's extremely fair. It's very much. Yeah, it it makes sense. But I think that you know that might be the thing that keeps Fincher from gold yet again. And uh, ag- agreed, it's like flirting with it, but it's yeah. not quite. Like you said, it's not loving it. So, yeah, I, I agree. I, I could see it, but not, yeah, not really, you know. Um, it's a tight group. It's a really tight group. And I, I just still think Chloe Zhao has just, like, way more on him as far as momentum goes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Fincher, you know, like you said, should already have, like, two statues by now. I mean, he, he's... For, a- for what? For what? Which ones do you think? <laughs> um, just, like, no, not even... We yeah. don't have to... We don't have to get super deep about it, okay. but if you if you were kind of ranking directorial performances from Fincher, yeah, what like what what two do you think are like okay that guy was clearly doing something special here? Uh, I mean, I know mine. I- <laughs> <laughs> for me, um, and this is just like not even counting the stuff he was up for for any of his films. To me, he would have one for seven. Okay. And he would have one for Zodiac. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That one there is, you know, is completely bonkers. You know, that, that award show, you know, the, the ceremony representing the, the films of 2007, there's some great things happening there, but you, you, you know, you and I are on the same page. Like Zodiac being shut out is not right. No, <laughs> it not. makes no, it makes no sense for any year that Zodiac would get shut out. And it, especially doesn't make sense now 14 years later when you watch it now and you're like holy shit this is his best movie (laughs) yeah yeah straight up and you know mank is great but it the guy has he's done so much great (laughs) that it's hard to measure up to even his own work at this point like fincher's Uh, yeah you know play he's he's basically betting against himself at this point Mm. And I don't know, you know, Scorsese was, is doing that too. There's certain directors where you reach a point in their career when they are just either unable to top themselves 
or continuously topping themselves. And uh, I don't know where Fincher exactly sits there, but he's definitely become, I think, like an iconic American director. And you got to take that into account. Yeah. Like you said, you know, you've often said that um, there's a certain mystere around films that don't win. Mm -hmm. He's one of those guys. I think Mank is destined to be one of those films. I think this is going to be like the Chinatown of the 2021 Oscars. Okay. Yeah. I think we, I think we kind of touched on that because yeah, Chinatown had 11 nominations and won one for screenplay. And here we are with Mank has 10 leading all movies. Yeah. And I could totally see, I could totally see it just winning like one or two. Totally. I think we did talk exactly this exact conversation last yeah. week. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I think we, we pinned Mank as the Chinatown of this, yeah, kind of this era for sure. I think it's going to happen. I think we're right. <laughs> yeah. I think probably. Uh, yeah. I, I think that, I think that's definitely happening. Uh, you know me. I think the social network is this kind of just wild, wild two hour experience. And he's, doing some pretty special stuff that one in zodiac definitely like pulled you know like pulling for him to win stuff for those movies uh and then the 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 third would be fight club for me i think uh i think that movie especially for like when you're watching a guy kind of like i think in the in the thick of his kind of ego um and I, I think this has happened with a lot of guys from that kind of like took off in the nineties. You know, I think it definitely happened with Paul Thomas Anderson and Wes Anderson and Linklater and these guys, but Fincher it's, you can, you can see it so clearly in fight club that he's kind of just, all right, I'm going to throw every single dagger. I have every single, every single idea, every single, you know, little cut that I have in mind. I'm It's, it's happening right here in this movie. And you know, that's also, you know, I'm also being biased. Like when, if you have Brad Pitt walking into a bar about to go lead a bunch of people into a fight club and Tom Waits going out West is playing and you have David Fincher with a tracking shot. I mean, you know, it's going to be hard for me to look past stuff like that. And I, I think he was kind of just mastering his craft during fight club. I think there's so many cool tricks in that movie. Uh, I, I don't even think that movie has to work for everybody. Yeah. But when you're watching it, you, can, you there's no way you can tell me you're not impressed by the some of the touches. You know, uh, the content fine. If you don't like it, fine. I don't care. That's that's cool. We it's a whole different conversation. But Fincher is is kind of in his element with Fight Club, and I, I very much wish that movie got more love at the Oscars too. <laughs> that's Absolutely. why we did it on the show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, Seven got I don't think anything. No, I don't think so. No. Well, yeah, and then Fight Club gets one, you know, and Zodiac getting, sh- yeah. Wasn't really, I guess, till Social Network and Dragon Tattoo and Gone Girl, where it's like, oh, and, and Curious Case of Benjamin Button, of course. Uh, that would probably be the first one, really, 2008. I think people really started paying attention, especially when it comes to, you know, awards and whatnot. Uh, just a totally different movie, tonally, you know, uh, Curious Case of Benjamin Button. So, I understand that, but yeah, uh, of course we could talk about Fincher all day, but I want to get to this next person because I know you feel very strongly about Emerald Fennell. Take it away. Yeah, she's who I'm pulling for. I think that giving her best uh, best director, especially for a debut, uh, would be phenomenal. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, oof. I want her to have a very Uh, successful career. A female debut? 
Oh yeah. I would love, I would love that. That's really cool. You know, and of course you and I are, we talk about in our own time, how frustrating it is, you know, cause there's obviously great female uh, filmmakers for, for the past, you know, 50, 60 years who have been making awesome movies. And, you know, Catherine Bigelow is the first one to, to break in. So I, I, I would, I, I would be very happy if Emerald won on that, on that kind of a note. Well, and the movie's a fucking masterpiece in my eyes. And I just, I want to see this film walk home with some gold. And I think it would be amazing if Emerald Fennel won. She might, I think her, I don't think she has a very big chance at, um, at director, but I believe, uh, yeah, I think she's, she might be a shoe in for screenplay. I think that might be where she takes this. Uh, I could see that. I could see that. And I would love Carrie Mulligan to take home Best Actress. I like. I really enjoyed this movie, and I really want it to succeed. And yeah, that's all I got. Really, I love the movie. I love the talent behind the camera, and I, I hope she wins. Yeah, I, I, I ah, sorry, but it's my, <laughs> it's my least least favorite movie of the five, and I really like some of the stuff she's doing. I think it's very obviously a very ballsy ballsy movie and some of the stuff she's doing is fucking incredible you know it i i've heard people talk about this movie you know and, and describe it and like kind of use different adjectives or whatever for it and it's fascinating and i i, I read one that was like it, it there's times where it feels like there's like a filter on it where you're kind of in this dazed dream you know and i i definitely have thought about that kind of over and over that kind of feeling that kind of gloss that you get uh there's there's a gloss to there's other movies that this is you know has a way different page than promising a woman but you know like ingrid goes west has this gloss to it where you're kind of like is this really happening or yeah i i I really like that i think it's an ode to a lot of really cool filmmakers and i think emerald on that again on that note knew what she was doing well, but this movie, this movie, this movie for me as a fan was was too confusing. Like if I were choosing someone to win, it would be like I, I wouldn't be able to choose her just on behalf of like, like you love the movie, so it's like yeah, I want to award you. But I I didn't love the movie, so I was I, I wouldn't want her to win, you know. But I also would be happy for her because it'd be a female debut. That's really cool. Yeah, I just you know I want the gold to go to the to the person who deserves it. Um. And to me, that's her. I, I was impressed. And I, I love that I was impressed. To me, you know, there's so many ways you can view that movie. You can, I mean, considering there aren't any real consequences until the, like, the end of the film, you could argue the whole thing's in Carrie Mulligan's mind. You could argue that this is all yeah. just her, her fantasy that she's not actually acting out. You could argue that. But the fact that there are so many different ways to interpret this thing and, you know, the way she depicts this world, that's like the ultimate horror for so many women uh i just think it's um it's an important film and one i don't want to get lost in the shuffle you know oh well it it that's very interesting because i i don't think this movie is gonna get lost in the shuffle a movie that does get lost in the shuffle is one that is like dedicated to horror like the nightingale oh a, yeah a really, really gritty, like horrific rape revenge movie that does not get awards, does not get, because it's not, that's, that's, that's not at all what it's trying to do. Promising a woman is in a, 
is a whole nother kind of genre, you know? Yeah. It's, it's taking the revenge to a different place to, you know, that's fascinating. That's really cool that we get, we're kind of a part of that right now. Well, I also like what I mean by lost in the shovel is I just, I, I don't want people to stop talking about this after the Oscars. <clears throat> I want, you know, and I think a statue is going to help this film have longevity. Okay. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah. I definitely think it could help, especially <clears throat> for, you know, if you see best director, that'd be yeah. a big deal. And, and it, you know, you're beating, Mr. Fincher and Chloe Zhao and Vinterberg and Lee Isaac Chung. That's, that'd be really impressive. Yes. Yeah. And you know, people like you and I care about the context, you know, <clears throat> we like to compare and contrast and just kind of see what we like. So yeah, I, I love it, man. Yeah. It's really cool. <clears throat> really cool. Talking about these movies just kind of as they ride the wave into the Oscars. It's a lot of fun. Uh, last one before we get into the, uh, the, the movie of the day, uh, Lee Isaac Chung, Minari. What? Perfect. What can you, what else can you say about this? This is perfect. There's no, you have, there's no, I have nothing bad to say about this movie. Yeah, I don't either. It's It's flawless. It's as American as it gets. It really is, you know, the story about the American dream. And that's, that's intoxicating. It's still, you know, we all like to think it exists. It's probably bullshit, but whatever. Uh, We all like to imagine that, you know, we can all be happy and have success. So we watch films about people enjoying that success or at least trying to, to get it for themselves. And Minari is very much, you know, living out that fantasy. Uh, doesn't quite work out, or maybe it does. It's kind of up to you. I, <laughs> I enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, think this movie's awesome. And I'm still stand behind my pick. Actually, I, I, I stand behind, I think, a little stronger today than I did last week. I, I, I think it's going to win fucking best picture, man. I, I really, I, I really think this is, this is something that's going to happen. <laughs> this movie, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Nobody has anything bad to say about it because it's so well-crafted and it is a story that you just cannot deny. Like you said, it's intoxicating. You cannot deny this just kind of simplistic, patient, beautiful story. About, about people, just about, it's about people, really, you know, you could, can, you, so many different people around the world can relate to this movie, specifically. Yes. There's other movies, there's Mank, if someone in, you know, someone who doesn't have, you know, context or whatever, and just doesn't know anything about, like, American movie making, they'd be like, what the fuck is happening, you know? You watch Minari, and you're like, oh, damn, I, I, I get that, I kind of get that, ah, you know, siblings, relatives, mom, dad, you know, home work i think it's interesting it's it's amazing this year we have polar opposites fighting facing each other at the oscars we have minari and we have nomadland which are both chasing the american dream but in vastly different directions Mm -hmm. (laughs) and i think it's interesting that there's kind of a battle going on there and whoever emerges victorious will kind of define the year in film that's what i've always seen as the best picture doing is defining the year in film and this will be the film that does that. And I'm very in- anxious to find out wh- who it's going to be. <laughs> oh, I love that idea so much. The movie that defines the year. Because obviously, it's fun to make fun of the ones that definitely don't represent the year. You know. Oh, yeah. Like, like when the Oscars decided to not 
you know, there, there's plenty I could, there are plenty of roads I could go down here, but I'm going to go down one that I know you and I are both, both kind of on board for is, yeah, in 2003, you gave it to Return of the King, but is Chicago really better than Two Towers? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah. And those are fun. Those are fun to look at because, in my mind, 2002 is two two tower <laughs> is the two towers, and 2001 is Fellowship of the Ring, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's just in my mind. Those are the movies that kind of define those years, yeah. as far as as far as financial and just being great films. And that's that's what we want Best Picture to go to. You know, a movie like Parasite makes sense. All right, this was a really good movie, and it also made a shit ton of money and got a huge wave and a huge, you know, momentum, and you know, a lot of lot of people all over the world saw it in theaters. That yeah, that's that's the kind of movies I want to fucking win. Yeah, I mean, you we know? could go back to a recent uh, episode we did, Chariots of Fire. Mm. Uh, how in the hell does that film represent the year of nineteen eighty one when you've got Doesn't... Raiders of the Lost Ark sitting over here? Yeah, and that that one that one makes you know we probably should. have hit on this more in that episode it makes no it makes no sense especially because of how like how kind of american and in english speaking the oscars are over the years Mm -hmm. that that you wouldn't choose raiders (laughs) that raiders this movie that just destroys the box office hand over fist and is still 40 years later a awesome awesome movie yeah and so you know, that's frustrating when you see that kind of a movie lose when it's like, look, it's right here in front of you. A movie that did well and is good. You know, let's just let's just pick that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm hoping, you know, well, like we said last week, there's not really a bad choice here for best picture. Anything would be great. They're all great movies. Uh, but we have our favorites and uh yeah, regardless, it's going to be a great show. Is there any um, director you think was left out, could have had a shot here, like anybody? Uh, always, you know, I think Shaka King is probably the first guy I would point to. I just think Judas and the Black Messiah is like, I just can't stop thinking about it still. And how kind of genre bending that movie was within a biopic, you know, just doing so many things, you know, reminded me of the French connection and just movies I love from the seventies. So I'm very grateful for that, that like gift that we received the movie world. Um, I think just the black Messiah would be really cool if it won best picture. And I, I just, yeah, I think Shaka King is one of the reasons it's so goddamn good. Uh, I think I think those two main performances have obviously taken a lot of the spotlight, but I think we're totally I think we do that far too often uh, just as people, as fans. You you, you forget that the camera has to has to move in a certain way for this tall work and Shaka King has total control kind of came out of nowhere. You know, it's just a second movie. So really cool. Yeah, he was the first guy I thought of, too. As um, in terms of being left out, another guy who I think really I thought was going to have a shot is Florian Zeller. Oh the, yeah, what he did with that film, making it feel so personal to the audience, making you tethered to this family, feeling this inevitable sense of loss—not of you know life, but of like you know a mental state of of love. It's just 
so original. I've never seen something like that. I've never seen a the way he did that was so powerful. And I, I was hoping he'd get some some nods here, but you know, he did get a screenplay nod and the film was up for picture. Hopkins and Coleman were both nominated. So it is getting love and I'm happy for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I and and can't wait to watch this movie, you know, and he's gotten all kinds of praise all kind of across Europe and across across the world really on the, the award circuit. People have been ta- kind of talking about him, you know. So definitely that, that one that one's that one's one that I thought of for sure. Uh and then Regina King. That was a shock. That was a yeah. shock that she didn't get nominated. Uh, that movie, you know, the it, it hasn't s- kind of s- stuck with my mind like a lot of the other movies from, from you know, this kind of award season. Yeah. I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed the experience. But there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's no question, there's no doubt in my mind that the best thing about that movie is, is that Regina King just t- like totally knows how to film actors. You know, she totally knows, she understands the kind the language with a you know she she's been doing it for so goddamn long yeah. that it just it just makes sense that eventually she would she would be good behind the camera at age 50 it just is awesome i adore her you know that uh so i i would have loved to see her get a nomination but it's tight man you know you only you only got five here so what are you going to take out you know i'm not taking chloe Zhao out I'm not taking venterberg out I'm not taking fincher <laughs> out you're not taking emerald finale out and yeah. we're not taking lee isaac chung out so it's very tight. It's very competitive. And that's always the thing when people bring up snubs, it's like, who are you taking out? Yeah. Well, and one night in Miami to me, you know, it's strong. It's based on a play. It's strongest quality is the screenplay. And that was nominated, thankfully. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I actually, I actually liked Regina King. Like I actually liked the way the movie was shot more than the words in the movie. Okay. I know that's probably an uncommon thing, but I, I don't know. That's just kind of how I felt about, about one night in Miami. I, I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I get, I think I gave it an eight at the end of that episode we did on sneak preview, but just as, a, as time has passed, you know, and you kind of rank it up against these other movies, I just, I don't think I, I don't think I liked the meat of it as much as, as much as most of these other movies. Fair enough. Yeah. I love the, you know, the subjectivity of it all. It's uh, the conversation never stops. Yeah. So be- before we get to uh, the 10 commandments, <laughs> uh, Give me, give me your prediction and the person you're really playing for. I, I think we already know, but let's get it. I think this is the only sure thing of this award show. I think Chloe Zhao is walking away with an Oscar. But if I had my way, Emerald Fennel would be walking away with an Oscar. Yeah, and, and I think Chloe Zhao, I also think she's got this in the bag. Not, not totally in the bag, but it's, it's not zipped up. <laughs> but it, she's got the bag ready, and uh, and then uh, I, I'm, I I would I would kind of go crazy if Thomas Fincherberg won. I would kind of lose my mind, uh, or Fincher, honestly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I it, those two guys, if either one of them won, I, it would be kind of like you know jumping up and down on the couch. Well, you'll see. We'll be together. So <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna be watching these together. So we're we're gonna know going into it who we're pulling for and who we want. And, uh, either way, we both have so much fun. Hell yeah. It's going to be fantastic. Yeah, man. Well, uh, today, you know, it's, it's Easter. So, uh, you know, ni- neither of us are uh, religious people here in 2021, but uh, we, we have a, the Ten Commandments from 1956 to talk about. 
uh, got seven nominations uh, at the 29th Academy Awards. It won the Oscar for Best Special Effects. And I got to say, man, this movie kind of blew my mind on this first watch. It's really good. And I was not expecting that. I was expecting nearly four hours of being bored out of my goddamn skull. And I was not. I was very invested in this. It's really cool. You, you, I didn't know anything about the story of Moses going in. I was not raised in a religious household. I was, you know, I've kind of had to make my own faith in life. And the road I've found has served me well. But this film, I just knew, you know, Moses parts of the Red Sea. I knew about the plagues from Family Guy. And <laughs> yeah, that's, I got all of my religious knowledge secondhand from various movies and TV shows. I know the entire pantheon of the angels from Supernatural. So yeah, it's nice. To me, it's all stories. And uh, this is a very interesting story about a man who was raised to think he's a prince in reality, was a slave and chose the you know to be a slave chose to be with his people because he believed they were being mistreated and he was right uh it's fascinating to watch charlton heston do this and yul brenner and fucking vincent price like it's just it felt rewarding and deserving and i was very surprised at that i mean i to me i personally think the 50s is the worst decade in film history just because of how hmm. little they were allowed to do, how yeah. much they, how oppressive the Hayes Code was, and just how fucking white bread and fake American every movie was. But movies like this that tell grander stories than just American stories, that tell world-bending stories, they survive. There's a reason we're talking about this film 65 years after it came out. Uh, yeah, very, very intriguing film. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it, uh, the Ten Commandments, you know, I immediately thought of Prince of Egypt, the DreamWorks film, the animated one that came out, I believe, in 1998. Or oh, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, a movie that was very, very, you know, close to me as a kid because uh, I did go to church all, all my, my upbringing. Uh, I went to, you know, pretty, you know, pretty cool churches though, you know, uh, went to smaller one here in San Antonio until I was like 12. And then we moved to a different one that was quite a bit bigger here in San Antonio. And, uh, you know, it was those two and I, our, my family was very involved in the church and I'll tell you what, man, this, this, uh, this story right here is, is one of the most, you know, talked about one of the most, you know, taught most pulled from like in, in, you know, in Sunday school and in church. And there's, there's a reason for that. Cause it's an amazing story. Uh, it's not like a, I'll be honest. It's not an easy personally. It's not a, not a, not necessarily an easy place to go down watching, you know, movies that are telling, trying to be as close to the Bible as possible and put it on the big screen. You know, it's, not something that I'm drawn to in my life anymore. And so, so, you know, there were times where I was like, just thinking about how I used to believe this is all hundred percent true. And especially when you watch this movie, this, you know, it's 
tough stuff. You know, it's really tough stuff and a lot of kind of mind bending things happening. And so from, from the perspective of it's a movie, I think this movie is like stellar and it has, has like a, a lot of really entertaining moments and has some really, really like daunting and dark and greedy dialogue, really, like really good stuff in the screenplay written by like fucking nine people <laughs> but it's you know it's a, it's like it's a near four-hour movie that kept me on my toes just as a movie but I, you know i won't lie that just from my my background and going to church and you know going to private school the whole way you know through elementary middle school and high school this stuff is just this is just kind of becomes super familiar with you these stories you know and my mind was all over the place, you know, while watching it. At the same time, I was like, this is a really good movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, Charles, like you said, Heston and, and Brenner are doing amazing stuff right now. And I was just kind of taken aback by it. Uh, there's, there's a lot of individuals that are Oscar touched, if you will, that are involved with this movie. And, you know, as I was kind of looking at IMDb and, scrolling and doing some research and looking at stuff i was like damn this is one of the more kind of stacked films we've ever done on oscar sunday you know we've we've done some stuff like i remember when we did the apartment it's like every person who worked on it (laughs) had some had some sort of oscar nomination but but this one here i i've gathered i've gathered a group of individuals and i i really want to just kind of kind of go down the line you know and and look at their oscar nominations because it's just kind of kind of daunting and impressive (laughs) you know what i mean oh yeah so, uh, you know, I, I figure we start with our boy Cecil, <laughs> the, the, the director himself. Uh, it's, is it that honorary award for the Golden Globes that's like named after him? Yeah, the Cecil B. DeMille Award. Yep. Yeah, huge, yeah. Huge. Yeah, yeah. And, and Jane Fonda, I, I was watching a video where she's like, you know, hi, Mr. DeMille, you know, and like, you know, doing this. I, I, I had just watched it today and I was just like, oh, shit. Yeah, I forgot that that's like a whole Golden Globe thing. <laughs> <laughs> Got to bring that up on Oscar Sunday. <laughs> oh yes, uh, yeah. He's he, he's a k- kind kind of a legend when it comes to uh, you know the era that we're we're talking about here. We're talking about we're in 1956. You know, this is a guy who passed away in 1959 and just just poured, poured kind of poured his life into movie making. You know, yeah. This was his last film. Yeah, you know this this is kind of the cap. Yeah. Uh, and, and what a way to kind of kind of go out, I guess. Uh, it's really, really sad to kind of say it that way, but that, but it's true. And you would think that this guy, after churning out so many amazing movies, that, he, yeah, this is like one of his masterpieces, you know, this four-hour kind of epic, Bible epic. So just incredible. Of course, he's a part of the uh, – he's one of the producers of, of uh, the Ten Commandments, so he was a part of the nomination for Best Picture of this movie. Yeah. Uh, but he's – you know, he, he won an honorary award in 1950 – uh, he was nominated for Best Director, Greatest Show on Earth, uh, won another honorary award that year, uh, Greatest Show on Earth, won Best Picture, and then, yeah, again, nominated for uh, Ten Commandments. So, just awesome, awesome guy, and people talk about him constantly, so I want to watch more of his shit. This is also his second film called The Ten Commandments. Uh, he did a film in 1923 about The Ten Commandments. Uh, his, own re- his own remake, huh? yeah. Weird, like that does not happen a lot. Uh, a lot we're, of, and we're just we're just finding this out now. Look at this, yeah. Let's see it. Yeah, it says 19- producer. 
producer uncredited and then what did he two hours and 16 minutes what's going on 1923 after hearing the story of moses the sons of a devout christian mother go their own ways while the atheist brothers breaking of the ten commandments leads to tragedy this is crazy (laughs) uh no oscar nominations no wins nothing yeah movie yeah movie from 1923 oh well because that's prior to the oscars even existing holy shit (laughs) yeah we're talking talking old school here we're talking almost a hundred year old movie yeah he is um i know that demille was a staunch anti-communist uh very religious man i think considering the films he did yes that's what it seems like yeah and a movie about the circus which won best picture (laughs) yeah and uh (laughs) i've heard you know I've the only before I, I watched the Ten Commandments, the only thing I'd heard of him is Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. the famous, you know, all right, Mr. DeMille, I'm ready for my close up. Yeah. Yeah. He's a name that is very synonymous with early Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the like you said, you know, the Lifetime Achievement Award, the Globes is named after him. He's yes, yes. a guy. And you can kind of see why with the Ten Commandments, what he was able to do with this film is remarkable i mean the the visual effects the production design it all holds up which is bonkers but um i think that the 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 smartest thing he did was make this film accessible to everybody you don't need to be a religious person to enjoy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly exactly and it's it's almost four hours and how do you do that how do you take this thing that is you know directly you know it's trying to be from the bible yeah. Yet, yet, yet. It's just an amazing movie. I, I love that, and I, it makes me curious. Like, why can't this happen more? Because there's so many amazing stories in the Bible that would be terrific for the big screen, like terrific. And they just, you know, like oh. like that Noah movie, the Russell Crowe one. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. Did you see Ridley Scott's Exodus: Gods and Kings? I, yeah, I, I hated it. Yeah, <laughs> it's not I hated. Don't... I just didn't like it. I just was like, it passed. It is weird how biblical films have become kind of taboo. I think that um, it's yeah. just, I, I honestly don't know what it is. I don't, maybe there's just not a, a, as big a market anymore. Uh, a lot of people have kind of, you know. Well, who's going to, who's going to direct it, right? Who, it's not going to be a guy of the level of DeMille, you know? So, we don't really have directors on, you know, we don't have Cecil B. DeMille's or David Lean's. Like the epic is kind of dead. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then on top of that, do you have a guy of that caliber right now working in Hollywood who's, who's religious? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Not in this Hollywood. <laughs> no, no. You know, and that's obviously fine by us, but I would love to see like here, like here's just throwing out an idea. You know, let's see. Let's see Ari Aster do do a, like an Adam and Eve. Let's let's see that. You know, let's see let's see Eggers take on Jonah and the whale. Like, let's see that stuff happen with these new directors who just have a nice touch and are willing to do their own research for their movies. The best we've got is Mel Gibson, who, yeah, staunch anti-Semite super christian mel gibson he's working on his passion sequel right now yeah yeah of course passion of the christ is a movie that you and i kind of talked about right and we're we're like let's do 10 commands we haven't seen that you know yeah and 
I guess Mel Gibson is kind of the guy, and maybe he's part of the reason it has a taboo. I don't know. That is probably, I think Passion of the Christ upset so many people that it's just not worth the effort these days. Yeah. Like, who wants to go down that alley and take on that heat? Yeah. Because I think that was like, you know, Noah did okay, Exodus did okay, but Passion was a huge success, but so disturbing from what I've, mm-hmm. I have not seen it but I've heard that it's just an upsetting as shit movie because you're basically just watching Jesus Christ get tortured for two hours. Yeah, it's it's rough, yeah. yeah. I don't know if I want to see that. <laughs> I mean, I love a story about, you know, Jesus' life. They've done a few indie films, but you know, he's a fascinating gentleman. I'll say that. Uh, yeah, that, that, one's, that one's brutal. And it was like, it was like I was, I'm not going to say forced to watch that, but it was kind of understood like, oh, I'm a Christian. I should watch this. And also that mentality of, like, if you didn't enjoy it, you're going to hell. That's the shit I can't tolerate. Well, yeah, it's, it's horse shit. Yeah. yeah, it's not right. So I don't really want that conversation coming back, you know, with new religious movies of, you know, if you didn't enjoy it, then you're a, you know, atheist or a Satanist and you're going to burn. Like, yeah, I don't need that back in my life. I, yeah, so I kind of get it. I don't think we, we need to get better as a society with accepting each other for their, for our flaws and differences before we can do this again. Probably. Yeah. (laughs) Good luck. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's, 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 that's a good point though. I think, I think there's some truth to that. Uh, and it's, you know, we're talking, yeah, we're talking 60 years ago here. So it's just a different ball game. A guy like Cecil is able to be really popular and be dominant. You know, it's, it's just a different time period. And a big thing I don't, we haven't addressed yet is that the Hayes Code was so restrictive in what you could do that the Bible was a great place to mine for epic stories that the Hayes Code wouldn't touch. Because if it's biblical, then it's okay for everybody. Those were the rules. I mean, this is rated G, and we see, like, baby murder, a lot of dead children. Like, this, this is uh, yeah. G for 1956. So I think that's, you know, a big part of it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, think about some of the some of the films that are, you know, supposedly whatever PG-13 or R or whatever in comparison. Yeah, it's not it's just kind of ridiculous. So so that's a great point that it is a goldmine for people. to. It's in the Bible. Yeah. Hey, there's 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 tits in the Bible. Okay, it's you know, we're allowed to do that. (laughs) It is that that's what they did in the 50s. They're like, if it's in the Bible, it's okay, 100 percent. No cuts needed. No interference in the Hayes Code because it's a biblical story. If they interfere, they're going to look like the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I love it. I love it. Well, I, I, I love this conversation already. Let's move on to uh, Mr. Charlton Heston, who's born in Illinois, but is playing Moses. Of course. <laughs> I mean, we don't get any more American icon than Charlton Heston in the fifties. I mean, this dude looked like fucking Superman. <laughs> this yeah. is, this is straight up. And this movie weirdly typecast him as like the biblical savior. I mean, you know, Ben, Hur, the Omega man, the planet of the apes. Like it just didn't stop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. I, I am glad to say that he does have the one Oscar win for Ben, Hur. Yes. Uh, you know, just, kind of an awesome movie that i definitely want to rewatch. you know he he, he plays of course judah ben-hur and 
he doesn't have doesn't have anything else to say really for his Oscar uh, resume. But like you said, kind of a dominant actor of this era. Yeah, I saw his acceptance speech for Ben Hur, and I love that all of these speeches are on YouTube. It's fucking great. But it's beautiful. Um, he was very, he looked like a humble gentleman guy. He was very grateful to have his success. Um, later went on, you know, be kind of became famous as like the face of the NRA, but that's another story. Uh, Ben-Hur, I have not gotten to see yet. Um, it, I think it's, you know, the first big clean sweep for the Oscars. I think it won like all 12 it was up for. Yeah. And it, it's another movie that's, you know, a biblical epic where Charlton Heston plays a slave turned hero which is weird <laughs> but um i'll you know it's a best picture winner so obviously it's going to come up on this show at some point yeah uh, so i'll wait for it the first time i ever saw heston was um planet of the apes and mm. i did not like him i thought he hammed it up so hard and i was just like this is really this is a revered performance <laughs> like have they seen it in the past 50 years <laughs> I think that all the time when I watch some old stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, so nobody's rewatched this. All right. Clearly. Yeah, clearly. But I always thought, you know, from that, I just assumed, oh, this dude is, you know, ham and cheese. That's what he is. But then I watched the Ten Commandments and I'm like, oh, okay. So this is Charlton Heston. I get it. Gosh. (laughs) Let my people go. He is very monotone, but you kind of get it. It's the Bible. Yeah, I love it. He's he's he he is a great Moses. Uh, uh, who would you want to play Moses today? Oh fuck! Um, who's a guy? Who, who's a guy who's got the gravitas to to, to pull this off? <sighs> gravitas for Moses, Leo. Oh man, that but, would be but so Leo, awesome. Leo in twenty years. <laughs> yes. Like, All right, yeah. I'm in. I'm in. And I, I uh, want yeah. Pitt as Ramses. Oh my God, that would be too much. That, that, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about Yul Brenner, who uh, who's just unfucking real in this movie. Uh, and he also at the same Academy Awards, at the 29th Academy Awards, he was nominated and won for Best Actor in a Lead Role, The King and I. An awesome movie that I haven't seen in a long time, but I I remember liking that one a lot. I found out that he played the role of the King of Siam over 4,000 times like the movie and then Broadway for like for fucking ever. That was like his role for so long. And I haven't seen it yet, regrettably, but if his performance in the 10 commandments is anything to go by, dude plays good King. <laughs> dude, dude, the dude is, the dude is a talented motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Yul Brenner had such a unique look about him. He just could kind of inhabit any role. First time I ever saw him was Westworld. And mm. Jesus mm. Christ, is he scary in Westworld as the gunslinger robot? Uh, and then, you know, the Magnificent Seven. So I've seen a, yes. few, of his, a few of his roles, and I love the guy. Um, I especially respect the way he kind of spat in the face of the tobacco industry at the end of his life where he did a commercial that said, like, cigarettes killed me, I'm dying, don't smoke. And this was in, like, the 70s. Yeah, but really ballsy. Yeah, you did not do that. So thanks to him, you know, cigarettes started getting a bad rap, and so I'm happy, of that. I'm happy about that. So I got nothing but respect for Yul Brynner. The dude was a talent, a powerhouse, a good dude from what I hear, and he fucked over Big Tobacco. So 
yeah, nothing but love over here. Yeah, yeah, awesome, awesome guy. He's he's one of the individuals here. You know, I, I'd say Burt Lancaster is the top of this list, but it's <laughs> it, it's 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 men who have just kind of taken my heart <laughs> uh, through Oscar Sunday, and and Yul Yul is on that list as well. Uh, I'm I'm in. I'm like all in. You know, uh, I want to kind of seek out some movies. I want to rewatch The King and I. He, his eyebrows are stronger than anybody else's in the acting game that I've ever seen. This yeah. guy, this guy does things that I want actors to do when I'm watching. Mm-hmm. He kind of he kind of goes the extra mile. He's not just saying all the things he's saying. He's just he his his face is always always paying attention to what's going on. And it, and it says exactly what I want it to say when I'm watching. Like, oh man, you know, this guy exudes this scene. You know, <laughs> like, he he is each scene that he's in. He's just he's fucking immersing himself in it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. I I nothing but nothing but love here. I wish I wish there was a honestly from a you know kind of like selfish thing. I, I wish there were more Oscar nominations for him just so I could kind of pick out movies easier you know <laughs> oh yeah for sure and next up we got ann baxter who uh, another another person another performer that i just has caught my eye you know yeah through through a specific film and, and here we are with ann baxter she's another person i want to bring up because she's another oscar winner for the king and i sorry <laughs> sorry <laughs> sorry i'm still on yellow brainer my bad <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, sorry. You can edit this out if you want. My computer's kind of not going back right now. No, I got you. Um, Where is she? Yeah. Ann Baxter won for 1946's The Razor's Edge and was also nominated for 1950's All About Eve, a film that I'm actually kind of surprised we haven't uh, gotten to yet. Like All About Eve is, you know, kind of the, the gem in the 1950s Oscar crown. And I've always wanted to see it. And I know it's going to be good. So what's, what's the holdup? <laughs> uh, the holdup hold with that is, it's tough. You know, with, with the best picture stuff, you know, you got obviously a lot of options. Yes. And when you get to a decade, it's like, all right, what are we going to do here? And there's, 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 a, there's a couple 50s movies that I have circled, you know, that I really want to get to and watch. But it's also about the group, you know, the other four movies. That's why 1981 was so cool. That's true. Because you and I got to talk about not just Chariots and kind of talk shit about it, but we got to really throw love at On Golden Pond, Reds, Atlantic City, and fucking Indiana Jones. So that was a blast. And All About Eve will have its day. That's for, that's for sure. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Now, The Razor's Edge would be a really fun episode because, you know, you got a Best Supporting Actress win off of that you know we like doing stuff like that you know kind of taking a specific win or specific nomination and doing an episode off that you know we did ingrid bergman gaslight you know so we're like let's go ahead and kind of attack her first win so i love doing that kind of stuff for sure and baxter is such a duplicitous character in the ten commandments at first you think you know she's the you know the noble wannabe queen who's going to get him out of this but she turns into such a selfish monster it's it's a very uh layered performance and i i was i was taken by her as well 
yeah, I think think she's someone we'll uh, probably bring up just because of the show again, you know, mm-hmm. and and we'll be like, oh yeah, we talked about it on Ten Commandments. <laughs> That's I, I love when that shit happens. You kind of build a you build a respect and a, a knowledge about each each performer and each uh, individual. A canon. We got a podcast canon going here. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what we want. Now the the next guy, my computer's back, is a cinematographer, Loyal Griggs. Yeah. Now. This movie <laughs> uh, d- depends a lot on how how we are not not fooled, but how we are kind of distracted by the lighting, distracted by just simple, you know, editing techniques, and well, not at that time, not simple at all. Very, very, very fascinating to see how this movie kind kind of the, the seams of it, yeah. you know, and. Our, our, our guy here, Loyal Griggs, is, I would say, pretty fucking important during this three-hour and 40-minute movie. Yeah, if this film, you know, looks like it's on a soundstage, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall asleep. I mean, this, you know, you need a realistic environment to kind of get drawn into. And the way that he films this really kind of makes it a character-driven story, which is really impressive for a biblical parable be driven by characters you know moses is a flawed hero and that's really cool i love that you know to humanize these these larger than life characters in 1956 um, the cinematography goes a long way towards that and i don't think a lot of people get that yeah i totally agree and he's he's a guy who was you know kind of busy with the academy awards he he, he won best cinematography uh, 1954 for the movie Shane. I mm-hmm. uh, was n- nominated here for the Ten Commandments, and was also nominated for the Greatest Story Ever Told, 1965, uh, and also in Harm's Way, 1965. So, pretty, pretty, pretty awesome stuff here for, from this guy. And these, these are the names that I've kind of found, like just, just kind of like some pride in when you when you do this legwork and you kind of do the little research that it takes to just kind of learn these guys' names and learn what they're all about and look at their resume, I, I, I think it's really rewarding in the long run. And you can kind of pinpoint individuals and names and people who, who directly touched the film you're watching and the film that you like or dislike. And that, that, that is what it's all about is these people coming together for a piece of art, right? That's what what we love about movies. And so it's very rewarding to not just talk about the Humphrey Bogarts, you know, and the Cary Grants and the Ingrid Bergmans and the Charlton Hestons. It's fun. It's fun to talk about the Loyal Griggs. It's fun to talk about these these cats. I, I think they, they mean a lot to how much we care about the movie, even if we don't even if we don't know it. Yeah, it's only been, you know, since we've done Oscar Sunday that I've really started paying attention to the names of cinematographers. And I love that, you know, it's a whole new uh, piece of movie making to fan out about. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. What? Yeah. How can you, how can you not be grateful for something like that? You know what I mean? Uh, And how can you not be grateful for Elmer Bernstein? Oh boy. Uh, I, (laughs) this man, uh, it passed, he passed away in 2004 and I, I, I remember my dad being like, whoa, you know, kind of like that guy, that guy was 
so busy, you know, I was really young, so I had no idea who he was talking about, but now here I am, you know, kind of doing my own research as a, you know, 26 year old. And I just, this guy, this guy's resume is fucking crazy, crazy, crazy. And then, and then you, you know, you're like, Oh, let's see what's going on. Oscar wise. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, This, this man, this man has a lot happening. So let's go down the line here. Uh, These, these are pretty much all for music and score song. Everything here has to do with music. Uh, and he's, he's nominated for Man with the Golden Arm, The Magnificent Seven, Summer in Smoke, To Kill a Mockingbird, Walk on the Wild Side, Return of the Seven, Hawaii, uh, Thoroughly Modern Millie, uh, True Grit, <laughs> Gold, Trading Places, The Age of Innocence, and Far from Heaven. Good God. <laughs> 1956 to 2003. That's a hell of a range. Holy shit. Yeah, and... Uh, you know, these, these are, all of them are just nominations except for Thurley, Modern Millie. He won for best original score. I just crazy resume when it comes to the Oscars, you know, I, you're basically looking at his IMDb here, you know, <laughs> it's nuts. Yeah. I need to point out that in his IMDb yeah. page, this is, he did the music for Ghostbusters. Yeah. No. Yeah. Go to his 80s stuff. Go to, yeah. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> I bought that soundtrack on vinyl today. Whoa. How about that? I didn't, I didn't even know, but his score is on that, is on that soundtrack. Did you know that, did you know that he was behind the music in the 10 commandments? No, I did. I hadn't made that connection. I I, I knew he did 10 commandments, but I didn't know he did ghostbusters. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy, man. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Jesus Christ. I, if you, you know, you and I love this stuff and, kind of eat it up if you go on imdb and look up elmer bernstein it'll say music department 180 credits jesus <laughs> he's conducted the oscars a few times like, gangs of new york you jesus just 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 pick any decade and there's some kind of gold there you know here's cape fear here's the grifters my left foot uh three amigos uh lost in yonkers uh, innocent blood there's Ghostbusters, Trading Places again, Heavy Metal, Airplane, uh, Serpico. Uh, yeah, yeah. Come on, what do you what do you want from the guy? <laughs> this is amazing. I yeah, he he's one of the guys that I when I was just you know every week I try to do this. I'll try to look at the movie that we're doing and see what oh kind of individual see what kind of individuals we have. What'd you find? He did the score for the Black Cauldron. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite what? Disney's as a child. Holy yeah, shit. How do I not like? How am I not intimately familiar this, with this? Guy? This is this is what this is why we do what we do, my man. You know, and you you fall in love with these people. And with all that said, what Elmer Bernstein's doing in the Ten Commandments is oh fucking God. astonishing. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge, huge score. I've been listening to on Spotify all day, and I was at I was at work today. You know, you know, because we're recording this late Saturday night, so you know, today was. I work at a grocery store, so it was just like wildly busy day before Easter because we're, we're closed uh, here. As you're listening to this, we're, we're closed today where I work. So I, I'm not kidding you. I wanted a couple breaks and I was just fucking listening to the score, you know, hanging out, get a little food. And it helped, it helped me get through the day. Jesus Christ. I love this score. I love it so much. And he's, he's the top name. You know, him and Yul Brynner are the two guys that I'm like, all right. 
I, I got you marked motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, I know who you are. Yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. The music in this film is large. I mean, it is a grandiose, <laughs> you know, it's, it's an epic. So you have an epic movie, you're going to have epic music. And Elmer mm. Bernstein does not disappoint. He really, you know, relays the majesty of God. It's, it's perfect. He, he was perfect for, for this score. And um, yeah, I'm, I had no idea how much this dude has been silently influencing a lot of the films I've loved for a very long time. So this is, that's just great. <laughs> Incredible. Incredible stuff. Yeah. Connections. Um, I, th- I think, I think you'll love this, you know, uh, and, and Bouchens. She's the uh, head film editor here on the Ten Commandments, and she's she was nominated for best film editing. Uh, she was also nominated in 1934 for Cleopatra. She won she won the Oscar for Northwest Mounted Police 1940, and she was also nominated for the Greatest Show on Earth. Now she had a kind of partnership with with Cecil, and uh, obviously, and those things are are, are pretty fucking important. Uh, this this woman has this pretty pretty steady career here, and is is Oscar nominated, you know, through three decades. And you gotta love seeing that in these these earlier years, whether it be because she was working with Cecil or not. You 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 love to see representation, and you love to see that the head film editor and the person who is really credited with everything on that on that front is as a woman just dominating just kind of just kind of crushing her role uh you and i have obviously talked about the cinematography and the direction itself that these these things kind of marry together right and without one you don't have the other and without one and the other you don't have the film that we're talking about that you and i are so fond so so fond of uh just yeah had, had to shout her out i i think along with all these other people of course of course i um I remember reading somewhere that a lot of film editors are women. That's the uh, best. That's the best occupation for a woman to kind of go into. That's like historically, yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely accurate. Yeah, because you know, directors most of the time throughout, well, throughout uh, cinematic history, traditionally have has been a very male, you know, masculine dominant role. And then you know, the film editors there to clean everything up, makes it look, you know, make a movie essentially. That's where it happens yes. in the editing room, you know, taking, you know, 20 plus hours of footage and making it into a con- coherent narrative that somebody wants to sit down and watch. Yeah. So, yeah, props, nothing, nothing but props. Hell yeah, man. All right. Last person before we, well, it's, 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 it's two people really because they <clears throat> kind of have worked together and gotten Oscar nominations together while working. Uh, yeah, before we'll talk about the 20th Academy Awards a bit, and then we'll we'll go ahead and give our awards out soon. Uh, this is the the art directors, Hal Pereira and Walter H. Tyler. Uh, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> don't don't you think like when you watch when you're watching the Ten Commandments is just an attack on the senses? You know, you got the the variation of color, and then you combine it with kind of how 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 much nature is involved with this movie and how much spiritual, you know, faith and belief. And it, it's kind of incredible what they pulled off in this department. Uh, 
I don't know how a movie like this can still stand today the way it does. I, I just am very, very impressed with these kind of behind the scenes uh, jobs. Well, and DeMille filmed, filmed at least part of it on location in Egypt, which I assume that did not happen very much considering, you know, the, the sound stages of old Hollywood. And he, you know, you add on an impressive production design to actual Egyptian locations and you're going to have a film that wants to be as amazing as possible. Uh, color film was considerably expensive back then. It was not, you know, traditionally used except in big budget productions. And The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind kind of set the standard for that. But going forward, you know, there weren't a lot of color films between the 30s and the 50s. Films like this needed to be in color. You need Mm -hmm. to experience this film in all, like you said, an attack on the senses. If it's not color, it doesn't do that. And yeah, I think that a lot of heart and soul went into every aspect of this one. You can feel that this was not something they cranked out over a couple weeks on back lot. This was planned years in advance. This was a labor of love and it still feels like that. Yeah. hundred percent, hundred percent. Wait, wait until you hear all, all of this shit. We got Hal Pereira. This is uh, just going down his uh, Oscar nominations. Got Carrie, 1952, Roman Holiday, 1953, Red Garters, 1954, Sabrina, 1954, The Country Girl, 1954, <laughs> To Catch a Thief, 1955, The Rose Tattoo, 1955, The Ten Commandments, 1956, The Proud and Profane, 1956, Funny Face, 1957, Vertigo, 1958, Career, 1959, It Started in Naples, 1960, Visit to a Small Planet, 1960. Summer and Smoke, 1961. Breakfast at Tiffany's, 1961. The Pigeon That Took Rome, 1962. Come Blow Your Horn, 1963. Love with the Proper Stranger, 1963. HUD, 1963. The Spy Who Came In From the Cold, 1965. (laughs) The Slender Thread, 1965. And The Oscar, 1966. Jesus. There is a film that's just called the Oscar and it's about the Academy Award for best actor. That is hilarious. I love it. You got to love that. God, and I thought I, La La Land was a stroke fest. Holy hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, all of these are nominations except for one, the Rose tattoo. The only win here for Hal Pereira. Incredible. Just a line of nominations and clearly very respected when it comes to the award, you know, circuit. So there's some of these individuals, man, that worked on this movie. <laughs> it's fucking nuts. It's yeah. I think, you know, Cecil B. DeMille wanted the A-team. He wanted the best mm-hmm. people he could get at that time to make this giant epic that ended up being his, you know, his swan song. I think that's amazing that this was the film he went out with. Holy hell, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, just as, as we kind of dive into how this movie was, you know, the people that were, the people that helped make it and the people that shine in it, uh, in front of the camera and behind the camera, it just, it just totally makes sense, right? That, like you said, just an A team, an all-star team just oh. coming and just, they're all batting a thousand, you know, just all, they all came to show up and play. And I love it. I love going down, going down the line uh, of these people, I, especially when we get a movie like this, that's a bit older. And you and I just kind of have these revelations about 
about how cool these connections are. Well, and it's important. And I love that you do this is, you know, you kind of treat best picture as important as, you know, best art direction. They all count all, all the categories are important and everyone who oh, yeah. is part of making this film Oscar worthy deserves to be shouted out. And that's fantastic. I love that you do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it's right. And I also think that you and I are big on, you know, giving love to people that we think should have stuff, you know? Yeah. I, I, I'll never forget the in Bruges episode. You know, we're both like, yo, Colin Farrell and Mr. Gleason, these guys are killers. They're killer, you know, character actors and we would love for them to get some gold. So yeah, we're always, always going to talk about that because we do think it matters. We think context matters. We think, you know, financially <laughs> shit has proven to matter. Yeah. You know, if a, if a movie wins best picture and then it's released in theaters, it makes more money. <laughs> that shit matters. You know, it does. <laughs> uh, money ultimately matters in the, in this game, you know, that we, that we love so much, you know, and, things have to get kind of a momentum and get on a cycle and get people involved. And I, I'm glad I'm kind of in the, the fan group of the, the 10 commandments. And I, I, I have all these branches now that I want to kind of attack. Yeah. I bought this movie so we could do this. Cause I was, yeah, I was dude. And it's beautiful, of. beautiful. The Blu-ray two disc oh. pristine. Dear Lord. It looks gorgeous. And I'm, I'm happy. I own it. You know, I'm like, I don't want to get rid of it. I'm, I'm glad it's in my collection. I, I enjoy the movie. And yeah, I will do this again probably next next Easter. Dude, just, I'll yeah. If you want to make that, we should both make that just a tradition. Yeah, eat for Easter. <laughs> <laughs> Watch the Ten Commandments. I'm oh, down. That's great. It's, it's a good watch. Yeah, hell yeah, dude. Well, um, you know, I mentioned earlier that the Ten Commandments itself, and of course, we've mentioned them here. Uh, it has seven total nominations, and yes. we, we just we kind of have to do this no matter what. Uh, we're going to kind of go down the line of what. It was nominated for what it won and just kind of have a little discussion here about the 29th Academy Awards. Now we were here just two weeks ago with La Strada, which is so funny because, you know, La Strada is a 1954 film and all these other American movies are, you know, 1956 usually. And it's just so silly stuff that happens uh, with the Oscars. I, I, you know, we, we talked about on that episode, how we both really want to, you know, watch Ingrid Bergman do anything. So Anastasia is a movie that we're like very keen on. And I, I remember doing that. I remember kind of talking about this stuff and I'm kind of excited to go back into it. So, you know, so, so quickly with a different perspective. Absolutely, man. Of course. Oh uh, yeah. Where, yeah. Where do you want to start? Let's uh, yeah. Cause we got quite a few technical things. Let's save the win for last, I guess. Um, okay. What do you think? What do you think is a good technical one to start with? There's let's just go with, that's, let's start with film editing. Okay, okay. All right. So we have The Brave One, Giant, Somebody Up There Likes Me, The Ten Commandments, and The Winner Around the World in 80 Days. Uh, <laughs> I, I haven't seen any of these films. Like, uh, you know, it's the 50s. We, we're still working our way through them. Uh, but The Ten Commandments, we've already spoken about how well-edited we think this thing is, and I stand by that. Yeah, uh, the, yeah, I'm... I'm basically in the same boat one day of course we'll do around the world in 80 days uh <clears throat> as its own episode but i i'm i really want to see giant you know I've, yeah there's some interesting kind of oscar stuff there and then just from looking at kind of the i don't know just you know it's this western drama like 
kind of epic Western drama. I, I, I'm I, I'm kind of down. I want to try it out. Uh, seems like it has some interesting individuals. Well, James Dean is a, you know, I mean, he's waiting for us for an Oscar. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. His whole yeah. story is so damn posthumous. Tragic. Yeah. And you got the posthumous nomination here. So, yeah, the super fascinating stuff. Hell yeah. Best sound recording. Okay. Um, we have The Brave One, The Eddie Dukin Story, Friendly Persuasion, The Ten Commandments, and The Winner, The King and I. Uh, I. I don't have really much to say here. <laughs> yeah, that's that's how it's going to be for these. We've we we we've been down this road. <laughs> this is how it is. I I love picking out movies that I want to see. You know, we we did a we did an awesome episode on 1952's High Noon, and you and I are clearly big Gary Cooper fans. So Friendly Persuasion is the one I have circled right here. Very nice. I'm still, you know, the King and I has been calling my name for a long time. My grandma is a huge Rogers and Hammersteins fan has this box set. She's been trying to get me into, I finally caved about a few months ago and watched the sound of music. Uh, and I'm sure that the rest of those are waiting for me, you know, Oklahoma, South Pacific. And of course the King and I. <laughs> yes. Classics. Um, yeah. My grandma always like, asked me it's like what are we what are you guys doing on oscar sunday <laughs> next week because we do we tackle older films that she you know grew up with and loves so she loves getting to kind of be there when i watch these for the first time and that's a that's a touching i know she's listening. hell yeah hi <laughs> <laughs> no that's 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 the best is is if uh you know someone who's contributed to your love for something uh just kind of relates or likes whatever it is that you're doing with that passion. So, Oh, hundred percent. I, I, you know, I remember vividly when I, you know, told my mom and dad, I was like, Hey, Hey, we're doing places in the heart on uh, on Oscar Sunday. And I, I've never seen it. And they were like, Oh, you know, <laughs> I love that movie, you know? And yeah. I like that shit. Yeah, for sure. That's really, that's really cool. When yeah, someone, someone, you, you you care about their opinion, right? You care about what they say, what they care about movies, and whether yeah, it's kind of kind of goes back and forth. It's a cool thing. It's a beautiful thing. The big one so far that my grandparents like were so excited to hear is when we did the apartment. Well, yeah, um, that's just a great movie. Yeah, yeah that was fun. <laughs> they yeah, they told me they were listening to it on their uh, road trip, and they were just like, "This is so cool!" And it was it was a nice moment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I have huge amount of, uh, you know, like honor to be able to talk about a lot of these movies. Right. Is, is to me, I'm, I'm just, I'm just grateful to be able to, to first off, to, to be able to watch shit that I watch the amount of stuff I get to consume. I feel, I feel really fortunate to be able to like be in that place in my life where I, I, I can just kind of not worry and chill with my, chill with my girlfriend, with my daughter and just watch stuff really grateful for those moments you know yeah. and and i i take it like super seriously you know that you know how, how much i love watching the stuff that we talk about and it's it's an opportunity to, to to do movies like the apartment and and do stuff right here that we haven't seen and and then and then of course throwing in bruges and fight club you know <laughs> it's 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 a it's a it's a place we can kind of balance movies that are home to us and movies that help us grow oh hell yeah well said man uh best costume design color and i fucking hate that they split for years 
into color and black and white yeah. film. Like, so unnecessary. And ugh, so many films got nominated that probably did not deserve to be nominated. Mm-hmm. And, oh, God. One step forward, two steps back. Yep. Basically. Have, <laughs> yeah. Around the World in 80 Days, Giant, The Ten Commandments, War and Peace, and The Winner, The King and I. And I've seen, you know, some stills from The King and I, and yeah, that's, that's probably taken costume design. <laughs> yeah. Wicked. Yeah. But you know, I, I, 10 commandments has its, has its argument, you know, it's just stunning. And you got the, the amount of colors and all the clothing is, is so like, so breathtaking and yeah, you know, the King and I, yeah, it, there's, there's not really an argument there again. I want to see giant and I know Warren peace is a, is a monster. So <laughs> yeah, that we talked yeah. about that one. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. I want to watch it, man. I really do. I know it's a beast, but I want to watch it now. Over here, uh, costume design, black and white. I see a movie we've talked about before. Oh, hello. Seven Samurai. Uh, we brought that up on the Rashomon episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't even remember what number that was. 20-something? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it feels like forever, really. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think it was episode 24, if I had to guess. I feel like it was right around Kramer versus Kramer, but I don't know. I remember when I when I first started the Filmgasm podcast. I remember thinking like, "Oh, I'm gonna be able to t- you know remember all of these by number." It's just I no. am so you know I love this so much. Of course, I'll be able to do that. We're 130 in. I don't remember what the hell 128 was, and that was yeah. two, you know, three weeks ago. I don't remember what you tell me like 47. I don't fucking know. It's it's ridiculous. It's impossible. Once you hit like 20, don't even bother trying. <laughs> yeah it's, it's very very difficult yeah i can recall the ones that we've just done that's about it yeah <laughs> that's about it uh yeah man but i but I, I i love when that that happens though you know you it gets you inspired to watch more you're like okay well i i like that feeling yeah. <laughs> of of oh i do have an opinion about seven samurai well i want an opinion about giant and i want an opinion about war and peace and the king and i and around the world in 80 days so that's the game i mean thanks to the sneak preview I have now seen the longest film I've ever seen. And that was the Snyder cut of justice league four hours and two minutes long. That is now the longest film I've ever seen. So knowing yeah, this think, show, that's going to get yeah. topped, but we'll see. No, I don't. This is about, this is about as long. Uh, I, I really don't intend on doing, I want to see War and Peace for, for me. <laughs> you know, I've, I've read, I've read a lot of cool things about it. I, I want to, I want to, but I, I think, I think this show, I mean, obviously this movie, we're both kind of like big on and we really, really dig, but I, I think it's the best when we find, you know, a real clean cut, just awesome two hour movie that, that, you know, just, just kind of gets us going. This, this is rare. It's rare that a three hour and 40 minute movie really keeps you, keeps you on your toes like this. Oh yeah. And on the opposite side, you know, I love finding films that are considered classics that we both just fucking hated. Like didn't just drag it through the mud for a couple hours. I love that. That's always. Yeah. Fun. Oh yeah. Anytime you can just <laughs> shit talk an Oscar nominated movie. It's great. Good fun. Good, clean fun. We, we, we've, we've had, yeah, we've had our fair share here. Uh, I, I think the most fun was shout out to the apartment again, when we, you know, we're just both kind of just dismissive of sons and lovers and sundowners. We are like, whatever. Yeah. We spent most of the conversation on Elmer Gantry, I think. 
Yeah, Elmer Gantry in the apartment is definitely the battle of 1960. The other movies have no chance. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. And that's how he felt that entire episode. <laughs> times. Uh, best art direction, color. We have Around the World in 80 Days, Giant, Lust for Life, The Ten Commandments, and the winner, The King and I. Uh, Lust for Life is a biopic of Vincent Van Gogh where Kirk Douglas plays him. So, of course, mm. I would like to see that very much. <laughs> yeah, it sounds super fascinating. There's, there's quite a few movies uh, from this, this ceremony that, I, that, I, that are on my, you know, my never-ending list, right? You know, the, the watch list that is just always growing and never dwindles. Yeah. There's a movie here uh, I just noticed in Best Cinematography Black and White called The Bad Seed. That okay, I yeah. <laughs> I remember finding out about that when I was a kid. My dad had this book, Clive Barker's A to Z of Horror. <laughs> okay, okay. That that book, that movie was in that book, The Bad Seed. It's a movie about a like a child who's also like a murderer or something. I'm pretty sure that's what that's about. Okay, how? I mean, yeah, American psychological thriller with elements of melodrama and film noir. Yeah, sign me up. Holy shit, evil child. Yep. They, the MPAA did not allow for crime to pay. So, yeah. Hell yeah. All right. I'm throwing that in the book. For yeah, dude. Yeah. Save that one for me, man. I, I <laughs> This movie sounds really cool. Bad seed. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. The play is adapted from John Lee Martin's. Okay. okay. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Looks, like there's, looks like there's a lot going on with that one. Nice two-hour movie. I want to see a film uh, about a uh, child yeah. serial killer in the fifties. <laughs> yeah, the poster, the poster is frightening. Yeah, some about you know staring children, which you're going to have to deal with eventually. <laughs> There's yeah. that'll be fun. <laughs> Will, Willow, my daughter Willow, you know she wake, she usually wakes me up. She come, she'll come to my side of the bed here in our room. She'll just fucking barge in, and like <laughs> she owns the place, and she <laughs> she comes up. And just like starts, you know, she's like water because she wants water, water, water. And then I open my eyes and she's just staring at me, you know, just eyes as big as they can be. And like, oh, hey, I guess the day's starting. All right. <laughs> I don't need a fucking alarm clock anymore. You know, <laughs> I was um, I was curious. I asked my, when my dad was here. I asked him, hey, when I was a kid, like when I was young, did I ever say any like creepy shit? to you guys and my dad without skipping a beat goes no but you said a lot of dumb shit and i just couldn't help but laugh <laughs> i'm like yeah that's like me. thanks dad yeah well you said a lot of useless shit well thanks it's like okay oh <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's really funny though yeah <laughs> best cinematography oh. color uh we have the eddie dukin story the king and i Ten Commandments, War and Peace, and the winner around the world in 80 days. And uh, yeah, that film keeps coming up. I've heard about that for a while. I've uh, been reluctant to watch it because I've heard that it's one of those films that didn't deserve Best Picture. But I will be the judge of that. Yeah, right. It's always You always got to have that opinion for yourself. Um, I think... The, I, I think Around the World in 80 Days and, and, and The King and I will be movies that we'll talk heavily about when we get to do the uh, showdown. I, yeah, I think so, too. Speaking of, best picture, we have Friendly Persuasion, 
giant. The King and I, the Ten Commandments, and the winner around the world in 80 days. Mm-hmm. And yeah, these are all films that I am very curious about. Same. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to do this one. Uh, with these Best Picture showdowns, I'm like, can we just do them every week? But then that would have, be so taxing. Oh my God, to watch at least five movies every week just for the show. Yeah. <laughs> I've got, yeah, I've, I've got to keep up with a couple other podcasts. Yeah. It's, <laughs> I, a, I can't even do it. And I'm just doing this. Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, no. The, 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 the space between the best picture showdowns provides for you and I provides time to watch all the movies and really get a, a feel for them, you know, like next week, you know, we're, we're going to have a lot of fun and you and I have been doing our legwork for it. So I like, I like that. Oh, hell yeah. So the Ten commandments did win for best special effects. Uh, it was only up against Forbidden Planet. And uh, perfect. Yeah, between those two movies, 100% the Ten Commandments wins. Hell yeah. Ten Commandments, that's, that's the, the win it gets. What do you think it could have won? Even though we haven't seen a lot of these movies from this ceremony, what, what, what else do you think it could have won? Um, I can't believe DeMille is not up for director. I yeah, I think that's kind of crazy. I would have assumed that's yeah. a shoe in but nope. Uh, as far as acting awards go, um, I don't know. I mean, they're good, but are they Oscar? It's tough. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the things it was up for make sense. Uh, director is a big one. Yeah. 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 I, 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 I think I, I can get down with that. I think seven nominations is good. You know, it's really solid. It's a good haul. And if it were to get another and get a win, yeah, uh, I think De- DeMille is someone you would talk about. Yes, indeed. Uh, Hell yeah, man. There you go. <laughs> yeah, it's super fun. I One of the best things about going through these is just, again, just adding shit to your never-ending watch list and kind of putting them into your subconscious. So I, I have a lot of fun with that, but I'm excited for this, man. Uh, clearly, we have a liking for this movie. And that liking has grown for me over this episode. So let's, let's do some fucking awards. You know, we got the Quentin Tarantino award for best line or best quote. We got the Ennio Morricone award for best music moment, which, uh, Jesus Christ, I had a hard time because <laughs> Mr. Bernstein is tearing it up. We have the Philip Seymour Hoffman award for the best performance of the movie. And then we have the Roger Deakins for the best scene or best moment. So I'll let you take it away with your Tarantino, Connor. This was um, interesting. The dialogue in this film is very stilted because uh, it is, you know, biblical. Mm. So it's hard to find a really profound line because I like to go a little bit more profound when I pick this one. And there was one line that stuck with me because it just kept making me think. And it was pretty early on in the film. It's when um, Yoshebel is stuck under the, under, the, under the block and the slaves, mm. the slave drivers are just like, let her die. And mm. Joshua jumps on the slave driver and is like, no, tries to free her. And um, I forget her name. Lilia goes to uh, Moses and is like, my prince, please help me. And Moses is like, what seems to be the problem here? So that's just how Heston talks. And uh, he tells Joshua says like, they were going to let her die, but I jumped on him to save her. And he's like, you know, the penalty is death. He's like, yes. He's like, he's like, you would die for a slave. And Joshua says, God made men 
men made slaves. And I, yes, I love that to death because it's a, it's a concept that we never really got away from. We're still mm. talking about this. We're still determining who on this world is worth saving when it should be everybody. Mm. And I don't, I just, I had that in my head the entirety of the runtime and really up to now. And for such a small little bit of dialogue, I was just really blown away that it got into my head like that. Yeah. Oh man. I, I know exactly what moment you're talking about. Definitely within that kind of first hour and you're, you're just totally immersed into this, this world that's been created in front of you. And then with, with pieces of dialogue like that, that you picked out, uh, it, 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 it raises, raises it to another level of this isn't just a, you know, Bible story, religious story. This is like, that's that, like you said, that is so relatable. That is so timeless. That kind of, that kind of philosophy. It's very dark, you know, uh, yeah, I love that. Love that you picked that. I definitely thought about that moment, uh, which is cool. I think I think a lot of the moments that you and I gravitate towards with this movie are similar. Yeah. Uh, for me, it was another pretty big, pretty big, you know, kind of like whoa, like holy shit moment of this is this is what's going on, and, and Moses is just fucking being honest here. Um, it's when he's talking to Charlton Heston's Moses is talking to Sephora, Sephora. I've heard it pronounced both ways by people who like the Bible uh, or that's such a weird way of putting it by Christians. Uh, I've heard it pronounced both ways, but uh, Moses talking to her and she's kind of challenging him, you know, like, why do you, why are you doing what you're doing right now? And he's, he basically, you know, is like this, this, this is what I'm doing. Even if I look crazy, you know, like this, this is what's going on. And he says to know that he is. And if he is, to know why he has not heard the cries of slaves in bondage. And that man, you know, that made me think of a lot, a lot of things. And it's one of the fundamental things of having faith. When you have faith in something that is, that's like live. It's like a, like a actual fireball that's like inside of you because you have to keep it lit the whole time. No one else is going to like do that for you. You know? So if you're, if you're really trying to chase God and try to be a disciple of, of, of Jesus, you know, as, as someone who's following the Bible, Moses is breaking it down to its like most, you know, human layer where he's like, I, I, I want to know why he hasn't helped these people. Yeah. And, and that's like a thought that anyone who, who believes in God or anyone who has faith. And I, I remember having moments where I, I would think this, you know, like, why does it feel like you're not answering me? You know, why does it feel like you're not answering this? Why are you allowing this to happen? You know, why is this evil happening and wanting these answers, you know, and then it all comes back to faith. And like, that's what Moses has. So it just ultimately doesn't matter what Moses says. He has this amazing amount of faith that just carries him through each day. Yeah. And I, I thought that was such a fascinating piece of the movie where he he's just this is where i'm at in my life now <laughs> yeah there there is no turning back right and we've seen that so many times in movies but this is so serious <laughs> yeah. this is this is talking about you know life death heaven hell you know all the above you know it's like all the big massive questions you can have about faith and religion like he's kind of breaking it down you know and, and i i love that you know uh a, a rapper that i 
I'm not going to say I like now, but there was a time I liked him was a chance. The rapper. I thought he had a couple cool albums earlier on, but he had, he had a song that really hit me as a kid that I thought about with this movie. One of the lines was, uh, why does God phone die every time that I call on him? You know? And it made me think, it made me think of this, like this exact thing. Like you're just kind of like, I'm still human and I'm weak and I need your help and I need answers. But you're, you're, you're like not going to get them. You got it. You like have to keep the fire going yourself. And it's just such a never ending battle, you know? And Charlton Heston does such a good job of making this so believable that this character is just on this journey that none of us can really fathom. Yeah. I mean, he's Moses. That's his name. That's yeah. who he is. And I mm-hmm. love that this film deals with Moses having a bit of a crisis of like, I want to believe, but what am I believing in if he would, if he allows my people to suffer like this? Yeah. Uh, my, one of my all time favorite shows is supernatural. I've talked about it a lot. And the way that that show approached God was maybe the smartest I've ever seen anything in pop culture do. Um, he first kind of is talked about in season five, you know, season four is when angels show up. Season five is when the devil shows up. So with the angels and the devil, people are clearly thinking, well, when's God showing up to lead the fight? Mm -hmm. And Castiel, the angel we kind of get to know over the course of the show is a devout, you know, he's an angel. He's devout. He's faithful. He has trust in the plan, but he rebels and starts thinking, what is my purpose if God won't fight with me? Why, like, why am I here? And we don't actually meet God physically till season 11. And at oh, that point, man. that's when it gets weird because like God's sister escapes from lockup and is like going to take over the world. It's, it's a weird show, but I love it. And God's the only one powerful enough to stop this thing. And he shows up and is like, I'm here. Let's fight. And Dean, the brother of the two brothers who, you know, Sam and Dean, Dean's like, no, I want answers. We've suffered so much. We've lost so much. This world has lost so much. Where the hell have you been? And to have that kind of, to see that confrontation is weird. To see somebody, a human being, just tell God, like, where the fuck were you? That's so powerful. And that show doesn't get enough credit for that. Because God, like, they call him Chuck. But God is like, I know I messed up. I'm sorry. I, I wasn't ready to deal with this. Like, God is very much like a, you know... He's a, he, he didn't know what he was getting into when he created mankind and it scared him a little. And of course, later on, that's revealed to be complete shit and he's crazy. But my point stands that this, it's an emotional scene and I wanted to bring that up. Yeah, no, I love that. I love when things remind you of other pop culture and especially, yeah, especially this specific thing talking about a man confronting God. Whoa. <laughs> I've, like, personally in my own life, I've, you know, I've never had faith simply because I can't believe in something that would let bad things happen. I can't b- believe in, an, in, an, in a deity that if he exists is just doesn't fucking care. And that yeah. is, yeah. I can't, I can't balance that. And I wish I could, I wish I could believe in something bigger than myself, but, I can't. And I don't think I ever will. Uh, yeah, that's fascinating. I, I think now, you know, 
the thing that I believe in is that I don't know anything, right? Is yeah. that uh, I'm I'm just a just a person, right? <clears throat> and I, I do think that there's something to being able to be okay with that and realizing that, all right, well, I think while I'm here, that the shit I do does matter. The, the way I carry myself does matter. So why not, why, why not be kind and be nice? And I don't think people, I don't think that's good enough for people. They need like, they need a whole plan of what's going to happen. And I, I, I think you and I are just in a different, we, the way we operate is, is very much like, well, well, let's see what happens. You know, let's go. Let's just kind of, if, if we, if we all just kind of, you know, pull our weight, do our part here, then what do we, what do we have to complain about? Yeah. That's just not enough for people. You know, like so many people are so greedy and need reasons and answers and this and that. And I, that's just that, that I've, I, in my own life, maybe not for everybody, but I found in my own life that that, that, that doesn't lead you very far will just kind of confuse you. I think searching constantly for answers is, it's just a very tough way to live. Well, and I think that there are no answers. I think that. Yeah. Yeah. The way the world, like (laughs) anybody who claims they know the answers are trying to sell you something. Nobody on this planet, nobody on this planet, no church, no religion, no cult leader, no spiritualist, nobody alive and nobody who has ever lived knows what happens next. And we need to, I think, you know, if we, if we came to terms with that, I think life would be a lot simpler. I think if we just realized nobody has the answers, we're all going to die and and just accept it. Then we can, you know, focus on enjoying it, focus on, you know, doing the right thing because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel like you did the right thing. I hate people who say, you know, if I, pull out, if I fill out this checklist, God will let me in the pearly gates. That's not why you should be a good person. You should be a good person because it's the right thing to do. And yeah, because it, it matters. You know, it matters. People, people watch you. If you're an adult, young people watch you. If you're a parent, your kids watch you. So fucking, you know, fucking buck up and be a, be a good person. Like, cause I, if, if, I, if I'm going to sit here and, and question every little damn thing, I'm going to get nowhere, you know, I'm going to get nowhere, but what does last, what does last is being, is, is caring about other people, yeah. investing your time into other people, committing to a friendship like you and I have doing those things matters because then you and I can teach our kids. This is how you do This is how you, this is how it, you fucking, you know, yeah. you, you enjoy life. You, you get the, get the fucking marrow out of it, you know, like suck that shit out. And, and that's, that's the way it kind of just should be. And if you are a good example, then people will follow, but there's just, it's just, it, yeah. I mean, this conversation can go on forever, right? Is (laughs) I love when movies do this to, to my mind. And then I love when it happens to somebody else and then we talk about it and that's, we knew that was coming here at the 10 commandments on Easter. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really glad we can open up and talk about this kind of stuff for sure. Absolutely, man. I mean, there's no way we could do this film if we didn't have an understanding, you know, like we need to, it's a film that's going to be, it's going to, you know, create some interesting dialogues and it certainly yeah. has already. It's made me kind of confront, you know, 
my lack of faith and kind of figure out like why and realize that, you know, I was raised with, you know, a basic code of, you know, don't be a dick and that's yeah. enough. <laughs> it's, it's really that easy. Yeah. yeah. You know, no respect, kidding. Look at you. Yeah. <laughs> to me, you know, respect is earned and don't be an asshole. Those, yeah. those are my two commandments. <laughs> the, t- the two commandments. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. I love it. Well, well what's your, uh, in your Morricone, because this is to me the most difficult one to choose. I knew exactly what it was going to be before going in because I knew that the moment was going to be grandiose and it is the parting of the Red Sea. Okay. And the pillar of fire. Those two moments, it's just such a bold and, you know, fantastic bit of score from Bernstein and just seeing Ramsey's, you know, blocked by God himself is just so nice. And, uh, you know, Moses. The parting of the sea still looks fucking cool. And that's, that's amazing. I was expecting yeah. that to look goofy as hell, but I was mesmerized. <laughs> hey, unbelievable stuff. Yeah. I, I was, yeah, blown away by that bit of the movie. Uh, I chose, I chose the piece of score. It's called I am that I am. And it's when Moses goes to the burning bush mm. and it gets, yeah, it gets, it gets gritty. It gets like, Oh boy, this is, this is the man God stuff we're talking about. This is this is man and higher power meeting, you know, meet a meeting of the minds. And there's nothing cooler than that, you know, on the movie screen. Just nothing cooler to me. And the piece of score, I just this is the one I listen to just over and over and over. It's like four minutes long. Just beautiful stuff. The whole thing's on Spotify. I highly suggest uh, anybody who's listening to just just dive dive into that. That's great. Yeah, I love. Moses' conversations with God. I mean, it really, you know, God is a, you know, doesn't get corporeal form. It's hard to kind of conceptualize God. I like that the movie does what it does. Um, I'm sure, you know, I kept thinking about that movie, Hail Caesar, the Coen Brothers movie, where the the board members are talking about, well, how should we show God? And the Jews are like, well, God has no form. And it's just, they're going back and forth about it. That's, Mm -hmm. I bet you 100%, that's exactly what happened when they made this. Yeah. <laughs> just, how should we show God? Well, we can't show God. Like just back and forthing it. <laughs> but yeah, fantastic scenes for sure. Mm. Love it, love it. Uh one of our one of our favorite moments of, of Oscar Sunday, the Philip Seymour Hoffman Award. Who do you got? I just had to go with my gut and I I knew yeah, it was Charlton Heston. Just to see, you know, for me. Uh, seeing him as George in Planet of the Apes and then seeing him as Moses showed me two very different sides of this man. And <laughs> I didn't know he had it in him to actually like, you know, hold my attention like that. Mm-hmm. And I was impressed. I think the transformation from Prince of Egypt to God's messenger is quite an incredible and believable hero's journey. And Heston's a big part of that. And yeah, he's my choice. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I went Yul Brenner. Ah, I thought they were both great, but Yul, Yul just kind of, <laughs> just kind of shattered me. There is a, there is a bit of dialogue I almost chose, but I, it's just like too nasty and too dark. It's when he's, he's, you will be my wife, and you will come to me when I, and you're like, good God, he's scary. I, that moment in the movie, I was like, Ramses is full on evil in this movie. Here we go, you know, it's that that bit of dialogue is brutal brutal the way he talks to women the way he talks it talks to everybody really jesus what blew my mind is that 
for me personally, I saw so much of the Count of Monte Cristo in this movie. Mm. Just, you know, brothers turned against each other, jealousy and, you know, over a woman coming back for, in, in his own way, revenge. And it just, it, you know, reminded me that so many stories, you know, found, you can find their origins in the Bible. As a book I've admittedly never read. But, uh, I don't plan to either. But um, yeah, yeah, it's long. <laughs> I, yeah, I'll just watch the Ten Commandments and just kind yeah. of pick it up along the way. But um, yeah, it is cool to kind of <laughs> notice that. And Yul Brynner is fantastic in this. To me, what what won out with Heston is that for Ramses, there's no real evolution. No, he's a you're prick right. at the it's beginning. One, and he's yeah, a prick at the end. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Moses yeah. starts out as you know, kind of a Hercules like arrogant jerk like he's not a terrible person but he is you know the prince of egypt and then yeah. at the end of this he's you know completely wiped himself of sin and is like really creating a new world for the slaves and you believe it uh but again again ramses is a hard character to give like a you know emotional arc to because he's such a bastard that's the yeah, that's the whole thing and yeah. and that character well, that person, however you look at it, uh, as a kid, and and still now, but as a kid, when I didn't know who who Ray Fiennes was, and then I heard him do the Ramses voice on Prince of Egypt, I was like, <laughs> "There's just nothing, nothing more frightening to me than that 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 particular like voice performance." I think it is just one of the best, uh, and and I I. I Quite frankly, now I cannot wait to do that movie on this show, especially after doing this. Oh, yeah. I'm looking forward to that as well. That was, you know, one of DreamWorks was doing kind of like religious based films. They did that. They did Joseph King of Dreams and the Road to El Dorado is kind of this new thing. Didn't work out yeah. financially, regrettably, but I, I would very much like to see The Prince of Egypt. Yeah, um, it's, it's awesome. I think you'll really dig it. Yeah. One thing that I found was interesting about this movie, and I just, I figured we couldn't not talk about this is the fact that everyone in this is so good and the film is so broad like so giant and epic that you don't really notice that everyone in egypt is white like just (laughs) everybody except for the ethiopians which honestly surprised me more than anything i was expecting (laughs) full-blown black (laughs) and then i'm like oh black actors in the 50s this is weird so yeah (laughs) <laughs> just wanted to bring that up yeah definitely uh you know in the animated movie uh at least the characters are yeah they're they're the cartoons they're not all white so at least they have that going for them. but the voices are all are all white people yeah that's that's a that's a whole issue in itself huh you know is how, how bad it sucks that in the 50s the lack of opportunity for people to get a chance to be in a movie like this is just sad but here's the thing in 2014, when Ridley Scott did it, they're like whiter. I, mean, I know. Christian Bale and Joel Edgerton? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Not, they didn't even fucking try. Yeah. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Egypt. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. Seriously, man. And, and, and I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, I've been to Egypt or something. But like, I, I mean, come on. Like, you don't have to be a fucking historian. Just this is this is this is a joke. This is worse than 
Daniel Craig's effort in the girl with the dragon tattoo at doing a Swedish accent. <laughs> it's that bad. <laughs> One of my favorite comedians is a Scottish kid named Daniel Sloss. Oh, and, uh, I've, I've seen him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He talked about the idea that, you know, if Jesus was white, that would have been the miracle. It would have been the whitest, yeah. like the only white thing for hundreds of miles. And that's the only thing everyone would have been talking about. Like, yeah, Middle East. He's not white. No, I, 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 there's, I had, I have a buddy who has a T-shirt. I've seen it other places, but one of my buddies, I remember, this is the first time I saw it. It's like Jesus is definitely a woman, you know. <laughs> oh, that's like, you know, and then yeah, it's just like you know, just shit to make you think. Like, how the fuck do you know it's a white guy with long brown hair? <laughs> I can tell you, you know? with 100% certainty, it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. It, we have no idea. Yeah. We know for sure that if Jesus existed, he was a Middle Eastern-looking fella. Yeah, and probably probably had some darker brown skin. Yeah, probably, if, yeah, if that's the case. There are Americans out there, and it's a sad fact of life, that cannot worship a brown god. <laughs> well, that's exactly what it is. You know, it's fucking patented and made to sell right you know so yeah it's bullshit speaking of interesting shirts there's this picture making the round on facebook with this guy wearing a shirt that says the bums lost and he's got a sign that says your revolution is over <laughs> it's one of the best lebowski references i've ever seen that is that is fantastic <laughs> <laughs> the bum the bums lost <laughs> oh man i suggest you get a job <laughs> My, one of my, I think my favorite line in that scene is when Big Lebowski goes, I didn't blame anyone for the loss of my legs. Some yeah. Chinaman took them from me in Korea. <laughs> so horrible. Just so stupid. Oh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> God, that movie should have been up for a few Oscars, huh? Jesus. Goddamn right. Mm. <laughs> well, how about, I love that. Roger Deakins, the guy who should have been nominated for Best Cinematographer for Big Lebowski. Uh, that is the name of our best scene of the movie so what's what to you won this movie like what's the best part of it i it caught me off guard because i wasn't expecting it to be such a powerful scene but it is hands down my favorite moment of the movie um ramses is told that moses is a hebrew has him arrested parades him in front of the court and seti the pharaoh is like this can't be true and goes to Moses and says, I don't care if you're Egyptian. I don't care if you're Hebrew. Just tell me you're loyal to me. Tell me that you are my son. Like, it is the most emotional moment. Like, to see the Pharaoh break down and be like, I loved you. I wanted you to rule after me. Please don't take that away. Please don't ruin what we have. I, like, it, it's so powerful. And Moses' reaction of like, I... You know, I love you, but I will free my people when I get the chance. And said he just having to be like, I don't want to do this, but you're gone. Like in front of his whole court to have to just, just throw his son away like that. And you can feel uh, the guy who plays Seti, um, Cedric Hardwick, phenomenal mm. performance in that scene. Mm-hmm. Like you can see that he wants to cry, but this, he has to be strong. He has to be the Pharaoh. He cannot show weakness. And he's basically forced to give it, you know, throw his son away. 
And I think just everyone in that scene does such an incredible job. And it's Moses's most pivotal moment, in my opinion, where he's thrown away by the Egyptians and fully transformed into a slave. Mm-hmm. And I, I was blown away. I was like glued to the screen. I could not believe the emotional gravitas of what was going on. I was like, I did not, I was not prepared for this. This is turned into a drama. And, oh, I was so grateful. Such a great scene. Yeah. Yeah, that's the stuff that levels it up, right? To where now the stakes, it doesn't matter if you don't know what's going on in the Bible. The stakes are father and son. Exactly. Being exactly. separate, being separated. Yeah. So I, I knew that would kind of, kind of hit you. And it makes sense to me that you like the first half of the movie more yes. than the second half, because it, because that buildup, that storytelling is, is pretty, pretty precise, you know, pretty spot on as far as how it's going to affect you as a, as an audience member, just, there's just, there's no way you're not going to be stirred by that, by that moment. So yeah, I love that. I, uh, I, I went with a, I went the, you know, the big one. I went with the parting of the Red Sea, uh, <laughs> that, that whole moment. Uh, there's a, it, I think it's like a father and son at one point. The son's like, the wind has moved the water. And he's like, those are God's nostrils. <laughs> You're like, whoa, you know, just did fucking bonkers stuff. But it's not only the, the water moving, you know, it's, it's a lot of movie happening around that, you know, and you have the Hebrews, you know, these slaves that have been in bondage forever, you know, walking through the water and you got folks coming behind them on their fucking chariots, just fucking da, 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 let's go. And it's, it's fucking intense. And when that water crashes, there's just nothing like that. <laughs> it's very rare that a movie like an epic movie kind of kind of kind of blows my mind three hours in you know three and a half hours in where i'm like whoa this is okay here it is it's finally here you know this (laughs) i've seen screenshots of this i've seen i've heard people talk about it i'm finally watching it and it's totally worth it people were right this this moment in this movie the party of the red sea ramsey's fucking confronting that he he is a fucking bitch compared to god all of that stuff is so goddamn cool you know i i just i can eat that up kind of all day it's a it's a badass scene and it's really kind of like the definitive scene of the movie for a lot of people it's become you know the movie's mm-hmm. been like shown with that scene in the preview like i know i've, I've been going to uh santico's embassy a couple times and they've been showing a trailer for the 65th anniversary of the ten commandments and that's the scene they use and of course they do. I mean, not a lot of visual effects can last that long. I still like, how did he do that? It's fantastic. Um, yeah, I totally get why you'd pick that. It's the ultimate, you know, showcase of God's power versus Ramsey's power. And just who's going to win that, you know, pissing contest. <laughs> I mean, good <laughs> God. <laughs> exactly gotta gotta love that yeah i just yeah i this movie's awesome i i think it could kind of raise as far as me being a fan of it but right now i give it a solid eight and i could see i could see that moving up yeah i too give it an eight it's a well-told character-driven drama and an action film and a fantasy epic it's kind of all over the place it all works 
beautiful. Man, I, I love it. This, this is kind of what we, uh, what we live for right here on Oscar Sunday is finding these movies that we haven't seen. And you come out on the other end with a new movie in your, you know, in your, in your brain, in your library. And that's the best stuff. Oh, it's awesome. And it's good to have a win because over the past few weeks, you know, we, we did, I think last week was she done him wrong Mm -hmm. and just, Oh God, there's been some, some, uh, some, some weak ones in the past few weeks. It was nice to have a big old strong, you know, Charlton Heston, Yul Brynner, drama fantasy monster yeah just a, a beast of a movie yeah we've had since the last best picture showdown which was episode 40 we did chariots of fire there we did in bruges we did la strada we did she done him wrong and now here we are with 10 commandments you know really random group and next week back episode 45 back to best picture showdown and the year is 1999 which is, of course, American Beauty. <laughs> Who the fuck wants to talk about that movie? Well, we do. And we want to talk about the other four movies that were nominated. Uh, the Sixth Sense, uh, Green Mile, Cider House Rules, and what am I forgetting? Uh, the Insider. Yeah. Uh, probably my favorite one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we're, we're, we're going to come back next week with the full, you know, full fucking slate. Five movies to talk about. We're going to really have that conversation about American beauty. We're going to give awards out to it and talk a lot of 1999 because it is one of the best movie years of all time. Oh, hell yeah. Maybe the best. And uh, I know this one's been on our radar for quite some time since we started the show. This is one of the films we wanted to kind of talk about. Yeah. Just because of, you know, the obviously the overarching controversy of Kevin Spacey and the Mm -hmm. film's, you know, difficult subject matter, knowing what he is now. Yeah, and uh, but still a film that won a, a few Oscars, won Best Picture, uh, started second. Yeah, career. <laughs> yeah, and a film that you know we got to see hold. If what does it hold up? Did it deserve it? And uh, I can't wait for next week. Yeah, man, it's gonna be an absolute blast. Uh, we, we're gonna we're gonna rank all five again, so both of us are are kind of watching all of them to to you know either rewatch or see for the first time and get that, get that kind of opinion. But uh, what's going to be most fun about this one is that you and I have so many favorite movies outside of the best picture group. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big one. So come on back next week. If you want to dive into a, a movie that, that I think still deserves to be talked about uh, still, s- there's so many people that worked on this and there, there's a performance from Annette Benning from Chris Cooper that these performances I absolutely adore. So I'm excited to kind of go down that road. I love going down that road on this show of places people don't really want to go because it's not that easy, but uh, we, we kind of invite that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. What have we got to lose? (laughs) Um. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Fuck it. You know, let's talk about, let's talk about a movie. Also, I mean, for for me right now, it's been a few years since I've seen American beauty, maybe three or four years. Last time I watched it, I liked it. You know, and yeah. I had I had a good experience watching it. Um, of course, a lot has happened in the past you know, three or four years with uh, with Kevin Spacey, the, the main character guy who plays. I believe his name's Lester right in the movie. Yes. Uh, uh, so, you know, we're, we're, we're not going to shy away from that. Yeah, but about 10 years for me, I watched it when I first moved here. So, oh, there you go. No, this is needed a, for both of us. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I was a massive fan of Kevin Spacey before all that shit went down. So. I'll be able to kind of unpack all that next week. 
<laughs> yeah. L- luckily I was never, well, not luckily. That's a really weird way to put it, but I, I was never a huge fan of his, you know, I think, you know, in the usual suspects, he's fucking wonderful. And there's a few like pay up forward. I really like what he's doing in that movie. I think he's really good in baby driver. There's, there's ones here and there, but I've, he wasn't a guy I was uh, like, you know, to, like I got to see everything he's in, you know? And yeah. I feel really bad for people who, who felt that or feel that way about him because yeah, I, I mean, I've gone through that, man. I've gone through that where someone you, I mean, Shia LaBeouf, you know, he's a guy that I, I, I see as just uber, uber talented, but the guy probably just should be working right now and needs to go get some help. Yeah. And Spacey, you know, if what is, if what happened is true and it's, it probably is fuck him and he needs yeah, to, well, he should have got, yeah, he should, he should have gone to prison a long time ago, but like yeah. long before that, he also should have gotten help. You know, I mean, like it, this, this industry is so goddamn nasty and nobody ever wants to talk about anything that's really on their heart. They don't want it. It's just all facades and surface bullshit, you know? So we're, 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 yeah, we just, we just are not a podcast to shy away from talking shit about that stuff because it's not, it's not cool. Exactly. I mean, you know, 45, like 44 in now, I mean, we have gone to some interesting places on this show already that have just tackled you know, taboo subjects. Not a lot of people want to bring up. And yeah. I love when we get to do that because we get to be honest and get to really, you know, point out some hypocrisy and that's always great. Hollywood is full of hypocrisy it always has been and it need you know someone's got to shine a flashlight on that shit yeah well also being okay with hey there are people who worked on this that aren't terrible people (laughs) you know just 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 yeah have some you know take everything with a grain of salt but all you know be realistic you know (laughs) hell yeah um on the filmgasm podcast this wednesday uh josh and i are doing uh fulci's the beyond Nice. Very excited for that. Uh, my first foray into Fulci. Going to be watching that film tomorrow night. Um, well, I guess tonight. <laughs> and yeah. um, <laughs> on sneak preview, uh, Caleb and I will be tackling Godzilla versus Kong, uh, the film that's going to save the movie theaters, most likely. So looking forward to that big time. Uh, can't wait. Going to be some good shit. And uh, as always, had a blast. And I hope you did too. Hell yeah, man. Good, good, good talks. And uh, I, I, I'm sure we got really good stuff going on all around. You know, I, I cannot wait to hear you guys talk about, talk about those two monsters going at it. So yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. Keep watching movies and we'll see you next Sunday.